Hallelujah. This is a great day. Yes, it is. This is a great day. Amen. For you and for all of us. The, not last week, but the last time I was here before that, I was wearing Don's suit. If you remember, and I told you I'm just still waiting for him to lose some weight so I get some new wardrobe. I, I'd like to have you pray for him that he gets a new wardrobe. Now, I'm wearing one of his shirts this morning. See, you remember this shirt, Don? Well, it looks familiar, but I mean... Well, my wife has changed it. She cut the uh, sleeves off, see. (laughs) But, you know, normally uh, the sons inherit from the fathers, but I'm inheriting from the son. Amen. It's so wonderful to be a part of something that's living. Something that's alive. The church is alive. Yes, amen. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. I want to talk to you about a very important subject this morning. How many know that the Lamb of God, Revelation 5, 6, that's what he's called. He's called the Lamb of God. Suddenly in heaven, around the throne of God, around the courts of heaven, appeared somebody that was declared to be the only individual in all the universe for all time that he is worthy. And as the door opened up, suddenly appeared a lamb as if it had just been slain. That's That's an important statement. Because everything that Jesus did on Calvary, it's just like it happened right now. It's fresh. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same today as it was for the early disciples. He still is the same yesterday, today, and forever. forever. So the point is... Whatever the agenda of the Lamb is, His agenda is for you. Did you hear me? Turn to somebody and say that He has an agenda for you. you. We need to understand that. He's up to date, right on time. You know, you look around the world and the world is in... Chaos. Absolutely chaos. There's no place to hide. So he just will hide right here. How many know that there is a hiding place? There is a place of safety in Jesus. And Jesus has an agenda for you today. I wonder... What would be in the heart of Jesus if you could have a private meeting with him? You know, I used to think, oh, how wonderful it would be if somehow I could go back and walk with him on the shores of Galilee. How many know that we have so much today available to us that they did not have during that three and a half year period? That's true. 
We have a relationship available to us that is greater than if you'd spend every moment for three and a half years with this man, Jesus. Because even those people never locked into all that was available for them. Many of them, after they ate the loaves and the fishes, and they found out the cost of discipleship, they made a decision. The Bible says they walked with him no longer. You see, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I was crucified with Christ, and yet I live. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by, through the faith of him that loved me. Do we understand that not only must we have faith in Him, but He has faith in us. He has faith that you are going to tap into His daily agenda. Now the Scripture teaches something that is very, very vital that I want to bring to your attention today. If I give him a message, a title, I would call it Living, Not Just Living With Him. How many know it's possible for two married people to live in the same house, but they're not living together? I want you to know that you can live together with Jesus right now. And I base that upon several scriptures, but I'd like to have you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that you're not going to face the wrath of God? There is a wrath. Believe me, there's a wrath. The Bible warns us time and time again from the very beginning to the very end that there is a terrible wrath of God that is going to be poured out, but it's not given for you and I. We do not have that appointment. I remember talking to a man at the end of a wedding. I performed a wedding for a couple, for a young man, a middle-aged man rather, that had been in my church as a little boy going back to 1964. And so he and this woman that he'd met, going to get married, I married him and his father came to the wedding. I'll never forget, I was there early to greet people before this wedding, and when he saw me, he quickly ducked into the restroom. So I waited for him. (laughs) And I waited, and he never came out. I don't know whether you could see through the doors or what, but I know he was evading me, because this man had committed an atrocity against his wife. He spent a lot of time with other women. And he, I knew he felt so guilty. And he was just thinking, my God, what's Pastor Tucker going to do to me after 50 years? And so I conducted the wedding. 
And when the wedding was over, they was going to take photographs of the family. By the way, this man ran off with this woman and never came back again, left his wife, divorced. She never did marry all these years. And so when the wedding was over, they was going to take pictures. I knew that I was going to catch him because they called for him to come up to the front to take pictures. And I waited for him. When he came up, had his head bowed, he was going to walk by me. And I grabbed him and just sucked him. I loved on him. And I said, Fred, I am so glad to see you. I've been thinking about you and praying for you all these years. And a tear came down his eye. His name was Fred Ward. And I said, Fred, I want to see you in heaven. He said, I don't deserve heaven. I'm not good enough for heaven. I, I can't get to heaven. I don't know whether I'm going to heaven or hell. I said, you can make the choice right now. Oh, but you don't understand what he did. I said, I don't care what you've done. God has and still has an agenda for you. Yes, yes, yes. And I just hugged him and I prayed for him. I haven't seen him since. But you see, God is so good. From the very beginning, when God created mankind, he wanted to live together with Adam and Eve. And it appears to me that on a daily basis, God, who is everywhere, came into a special place, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve lived in the breath of the day, in the wind of the day. At a certain time, he came in, and he was looking for this couple. He had such a longing, such a hunger to be with them, to live together with them, that he created a perfect environment for that to take place. Now, God has never lost that desire. When Jesus came in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the scripture says that the word became flesh and he dwelt. He didn't just hang out. He became one of us. He lived with us. He lived with them together. He spent time together because he he wanted this longing for human beings once together to be bonded back to the Father. And so this Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor for our sakes, that we through his poverty might become rich. He wants to live together with you. Now, the concept I grew up with concerning that is that one day I'm going to be with Jesus. I don't know when that, I never knew when that was going to happen. I didn't like the idea of that because I knew the only way I could get there is to die. And I, and I thought the only way I could possibly live with Jesus was to go to heaven. And everybody I saw go to heaven was at a funeral and they preached about this person now that was in heaven that I had known here on earth. And I thought, my Lord, I'm not sure I want to go to heaven. 
And so if you had the opportunity to go to heaven, is that what you want? Or would you like to have a little bit of heaven right now? The truth is, verse 10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep. How many is awake this morning? We're still awake. But if we sleep, you see, the good news is, true believers, true Christians never die. They just change locations. That's what Jesus said. If you believe in him, you will never die. You see, he died once and for all. He tasted death for every man so that you don't have to taste. It don't have to be a nasty experience for you. Listen to what this, how many believe the Bible? Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Are you living together with Jesus right now? Or are you a little bit tired of your Christian walk? You need a refreshing to realize that this is not something you're going to do in the future. It's not something that's going to happen later on. You see, what Jesus did on the cross... 2,000 years ago, we need to understand that he is able to do right now. The cross is up to date. It's not just the old rugged cross. No, what he did then is available now. Everything future in heaven relates to whether we are now living with Jesus. I know that Paul, Peter says these words. I, like, I love these words of Peter in 1 Peter. I believe it's chapter 1. <laughs> Got to get to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Okay, verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith. How many believe you have genuine faith? The genuineness of your faith being much more precious. Now, if you could exchange your faith for anything, what would you choose? Gold. That's a a mineral that has the highest value that's available to us. He said, but this faith is much more precious than gold that perishes us, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation, at the coming of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. 
Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, there is not, there is not such a thing as an imaginary Jesus. You know, I, I was sitting in a Sunday school class and for children one time, and this woman was trying to, this woman, bless her heart, doing the best. She said, just imagine what Jesus looks like to you. Years and years ago, I went to Philippine, Philippine Islands the first time. I, I love artwork. I love, in those days, I was into painting, oil painting. And so I, I was looking for a painting of Jesus. Now, in my mind, you know, always I saw Solomon's painting of Jesus. How many remember that most famous painting by the artist called Solomon's Painting of Jesus, you know? And so I imagine they had to look something like that. How many know there is no description of Jesus in the Bible? The only description we have is on the cross. We have no port of Jesus, how long his nose was, how big his ears were, whether he had a beautiful long hair, short hair. We have no description that you could draw a portrait from. And so I was looking for something because I imagined what Jesus looked like, and every picture I saw looked like a Filipino. And, and I, I go to Africa. I was in China, you know, about five years ago, something like that. And I went to an art shore there. And every portrait of Jesus, Last Supper, whatever, he looked like a Chinaman. Now, what is your imagination of what Jesus is like? And, and so this woman said to these children, just imagine what Jesus looks like. And one little boy raised a hand. He looks like my puppy. <laughs> no, we don't have to, we don't, we're not in love with an imaginary Jesus. How many know there is a man, Christ Jesus, who is seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, a man, Christ Jesus, who lives to make intercession for us? Amen. The very same man that was here on this earth. He carries a part of his humanity into eternity. And according to Paul, we can live together with him right now. I know you talk to him. I know we struggle with really understanding that we have this kind of identity with him. I like the amplified version that says, who died for us so that whether we are still alive or dead, at Christ's appearing, we might live together with him and share now in his life. See, we can share together. My wife and I have been together for 63 years. I don't live in the basement and she lives upstairs. We actually sleep in the same bed. Her side is about eight feet from mine. Our bed is so big, you could put four of us in there together now. But nevertheless, we live together. We eat together part of the time when I'm home. 
We do things together. We're not just living in a same house. And so this concept, well, you know, God said, I will come into you and dwell in you. And, but we can choose not to have him in a together relationship. Okay, God, you do your thing, I'll do mine. You can have one little corner over here. This, this is your territory, but remember, I've got my territory. Now, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about having that kind of a separate relationship, living in the same house. We, this is my, the outside is my house. I'm on the inside, see. You're just seeing the outside. But Jesus was in, on the inside, I want you to notice six hopeless issues that had to be dealt with in the agenda of Jesus. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Now, the word workmanship comes from a Greek word, which means a poem. Your whole journey in life is a beautiful poem that the author is writing. He is a poet. How many know Jesus is the greatest poet? Greater than Solomon. All those beautiful, that beautiful poetry in the Song of Solomon. But Jesus says, you are my poetry. And I'm writing a beautiful poetry about you. Your whole journey is, is like a poetry. So he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand. See, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you come into a relationship with the Father that God planned before the foundation of the earth. God had plans for you. Psalm 139. God actually began to write a book yes. de describing all the destiny, the future, the plans. And I personally believe that every baby that's been aborted going clear back in the history of Israel when they slaughtered their children and offered them to the gods of Moloch. And there's 33 kings that did evil in the sight of the Lord and most every one of them offered their sons and their daughters to the Lord. And God said that the children that you bore for me, you offered them to false gods. They was cut off before there was even, they didn't even have a natural birth, some of them. Millions here in this country. So when we get to heaven, are we going to see heaven full of baskets and bassinets and nurseries? No, I believe that every one of those babies, innocents, they're called in the Bible. And if you've lost one through miscarriage or whatever it may happen, at the moment of conception, the Bible teaches that that child is a living individual. 
And I believe that in the plan of God, your sons and your daughters that you've lost as little children, they're not going to be little babies and little kids up there. There's a plan for God that every child's going to reach its destiny. His plan and purpose, the agenda as God is not going to be lost because of the failure of man. And so I want you to take a look at this now. Therefore, remember you. Paul is writing this to a Gentile group of people. Listen to how he says, Therefore, remember that you once, once were pagans. That word Gentile means pagans in the flesh. Any, any past pagans here? I'm, I'm serious. Anyone here that lived a paganistic lifestyle? You, we, we were all pagans, listen to that, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That at that time, listen to this, you were without Christ. Being alien. There's six issues here. Being aliens. From the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the commonwealth of promise, having no hope without God in this world. But I like verse 13, but now, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Now we need to understand, so that we could live together with him right now. Listen to what the scripture teaches, that Jesus Christ, you who were without Christ, now you've exercised your personal faith in Jesus Christ, and never one you were delivered from the power of darkness. Come on, you were delivered from the power of darkness. You were translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. You were delivered from so great of death. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Your eyes were opened to turn you from darkness to light. You were turned from the power of Satan. Think of that. You were turned from the power of Satan to God. That God himself might deliver you from this present evil age. Now that was written 2,000 years ago. We don't think of that age or that time period as being quite as evil. Or maybe we think now we're sophisticated sophisticated so much that we're no longer evil. That's what a lot of people think, that everybody's all right, everybody's good, there are no bad people. Uh, We don't dare identify people because that's judging them. Listen to what it says. We have escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. 2 Peter 1 verse 4. We have been saved, Acts 2.40, from this perverse generation. 
We have been raised and made alive being from spiritual death, Ephesians 2 and verse 1. So now we are in Christ and we are his workmanship created in his image for good works so that we may walk in them. Hallelujah. You see, we can live together now with Jesus. I know that years and years ago, we had some people who, on Sunday morning, or Sunday dinner, I should say, after church, it was always a special time. It was chicken Sunday. Been more chickens going to the ministry than people. <laughs> and so I know people that, you know, people that have, would have an empty place. In fact, as I've heard in Jewish history, on certain occasions, they always set a place for the Messiah. They had a plate, a bowl, a glass, utensils for that unseen guest. I want us to change that image. He is not an unseen guest. He don't just show up once in a while at dinner time. He don't just show up on Sunday morning for two hours. That's not, that's not the only time we have access to him. That's right. Amen. See, he's available. Are we available? We must make himself available. We must make ourselves available to him also. So now in Christ, think of it. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We've been justified by faith. We've been declared righteous. We have relational sonship. Jesus said, my, my kingdom is not of this world. We're only strangers, temporary aliens passing through here for a short period of time. Believe me. I can't believe that I've lived in this world almost 82 years now. It's gone just like a flash. Yesterday I was a teenager full of vitality and strength and vision and dream. And you know, I thank God that he can give old men dreams and visions. Hallelujah. And he can blend them together with the visions of young men. The old men blended together. And we can live together with Jesus. So there's something more to this life than just getting to heaven. And I don't want to minimize heaven. I remember being with a man that was dying one time. This is probably at least 40 years ago. I was in St. Luke's Hospital up in Duluth. This man was the, wife, the husband of a wife that came to church quite often. He was a believer, was a Christian, but he chose to go to a different church. And so he'd had a heart attack, serious heart attack. They asked me to come and visit him. And as I was in the room, suddenly a nurse came in and began to pound on his chest. And I thought, my Lord, what's she doing that? She's going to hurt that man. Well, she was trying to stimulate something. She ran out. All at once, this man sat up in bed. I mean, he'd been there in a coma-like condition. He looks over and he said, Pastor Tucker, 
can you see them? I said, what? He said, they're all over this place. Can you hear it? I said, what do you mean? He said, can't you hear the music? Can't you hear the, the choirs? And, and he said, the place is full of angels. And suddenly he dropped his head. And he went into the presence of the Lord. Yes, there are wonderful experiences like that. But you see, I believe that heaven is a place for those who have become comfortable for Jesus living together with him now. We have this concept. I want you to turn to 1 John for a minute. When did I start preaching? Okay. Forgive me, I was going to promise myself I was going to check my... First John. Chapter 3. I've quoted this scripture. I believe it 100%. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. I'm like, how many is thankful for that? Yes, that we should be identified, called. How many know you have an identity? Yes. There's a mark on you. You've been branded. It's like, it's like P- Peter, you know, when he was outside there, outside warming himself, when Jesus was inside being tried and a couple people came along and said, hmm, I remember you. Oh, no. No, you don't remember me. Another one came along. Yeah, I remember you. Your, your speech betrays you. Really, if we know him, we can't deny him. It's impossible to deny and say something that we are and say that's not really who I am because of fear or shame or something else. People can see. John says here that we have an identity. The Father has bestowed upon us this love so that we are now called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us. They don't understand us. They can't really figure us out. They can't identify with us. No matter how they struggle, how they try. I think my neighbors next door, they're wonderful people. We love them. I checked on them yesterday. Every time there's a storm and I'm home, I go check on them. They're elderly people. I don't think they can figure me out. I'm serious. I mean, they're retired. They spend... Half their, well, they spend a lot of time at the casino. That's their life. I don't criticize them. That's probably what I'd be doing too if I didn't have something better. That's right. I'm serious. They think it's great. Just a, just a little game. But anyway, they can't figure why in the world are you running all over the world? They can't figure it out. I just spent two days down in Mayo Clinic. September 16th, I'm scheduled to have a cochlear ear implant. 
And so I spent two days down there, and, and a doctor in Duluth, my wife was with me, and he, he asked me, he said, what do you do during your retirement? I said, I haven't retired. Here, you're 81 and a half years old, and you're not retired? I said, no. He said, well, how much do you work, a couple hours a week? I said, not really. Not really. I said, I, I didn't tell him I was a I just said, I'm a guest speaker. Oh, you're a retired minister as a guest speaker. Something like that, I said. He said, well, how much do you really work? I said, well, a minimum of 40 hours a week. So finally, he comes to the conclusion. In fact, he wrote a letter because I didn't quite qualify according to his tests. He wrote a letter to Mayo Clinic. They have a research program. So that got me into Mayo Clinic where I was qualified now. But I had eight, eight different doctors. You know, when they read, they read the letter. They, this doctor wrote, said, this Paul is an 81-year-old man, and he works a minimum of 40 to 60 hours a week. They read that and said, my Lord. Well, they didn't say my Lord. <laughs> I'm not boasting about myself, but, but the truth is, I'm living together with Jesus. I want everybody to experience it now. I'm not doubting the question that you're on your way to heaven, you're going to, heaven's a wonderful place and all those kind of things. But listen to what the scripture says. The world does not know us because it did not know him. They didn't understand and they couldn't figure him out. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. I don't care what your status is. In the agenda of God, there's more. Did you hear? Come on, put your finger here and say, there's more for me. Come on, there's more for me. It has not yet appeared. And that appearance may take place quicker than you expect. You're not going to look down one day and look and see yourself in a cask and say, I told you so. That there's more for you. Listen, but we know that when he is revealed. Now, Jesus promised in the gospel of John, especially beginning in John 14. He said, I will return so that where I am, there you may be also. But how many know that that return happened in different phases. How many know he returned in the form of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? He returned. He came back. How many know, first of all, he came back in the resurrection. When he was raised from the dead, what did he do? He appeared. He revealed. He exposed himself in such a way that they could touch with him. He ate a piece of fish, he ate bread, uh, and he ate honeycomb, and he spent time, and he said, you can touch me, it's really me, I'm, uh, spirit doesn't have body and bones like it, it's really me. He revealed himself at the re- after the resurrection. Then he came in the form of the Holy Spirit, and we know he's coming in the future. 
But what if there is a possibility during this time span now that he may reveal himself to you in greater dimensions? Do you have any greater knowledge of Jesus, understanding, revelation than you had when you were 15 years old? Were you a believer at 15? Did you know Jesus? Was you on your way to heaven? We, did you grow up as a normal kid? Yeah. See, I look at you and I say, he could never have been a normal kid. <laughs> you know. I mean, he was born with a golden something in his mouth, you know. And his mother looked and said, my God, this is a man of God. But see, we, 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 we put God in a limited block. And we got things figured out in life. You're born again, get baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, you live your life, you get entered into old age period, you go to a nursing home, you die, the preacher preaches and tells all about nice things about you, he eulogizes you. How many know we need the eulogies right now? Yeah. We need the blessings right now, not when, when the guy's up there looking down wondering what's he given for me now, he should have given me before. No, we, we put God in a block. This is where it's going to happen. But listen to me, listen to what the scripture says. Beloved, now are we the children of God and not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. And the Bible teaches that as we behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord. What's happening? Yeah. Well, if you look in the mirror long enough, when you get to heaven then you're going to realize how much he's going to change it. No, that's not what it says. Right now, as we behold him, as we see him in our daily life, living with him, him living with us together, in our togetherness, in our unity, in our harmony. That's what Jesus talked about. If, if you really believe in us, I and the Father, we will come in and we will take our abode in you. And we're going to live together right now in this life. So I believe that what he's saying here is not just by and by, but part of that change, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. Our, his agenda, there as a lamb just being slain, blood flowing, was we'd have access to that blood, the power of that blood, so we can be changed. Right now in your homes, your family, need to teach our children. Yes, heaven is in the future. But right now you can have a life-changing daily relationship, living together in harmony, in unity, where it's not struggle. Jesus is pulling on you and you're pulling back because you don't know what, the, what, what you should do. No, it's yielding and surrendering and giving your life to Him 24 hours a day so that you live out now your wonderful destiny. Yes, I know that we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ, but this is preparation time. Yeah. 
So we desperately this morning need times of refreshing. I want to go back to one of the original statements that I made. There's so much more I'd like to share, but time won't permit. I said that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, he will do now. Or he's not the same Jesus. Unknowingly, so many denominations and church people innocently teach that Jesus really isn't the same Jesus today that he was then. He is more the Messiah now than he ever was before. What Jesus did during three and a half years, he can replicate today in the same dimension. He still heals incurable cancer. He still raises people from deathbed. Some of you know Gary and Jen Nelson. They were my associate pastors for many, many years. They have a brother by the name of Marsh, Marsh Ostronsky, Jan's brother. And two years ago, I was getting ready in the spring to go to Brookings, South Dakota for a minister's meeting. She called me on a Friday afternoon and said, Pastor Tucker, my brother Marsh is in the hospital. He's been in there for two weeks or so, something like that. He's at death's door. He's in a coma. The doctor said he can only live a few hours. Could you possibly come up and see him? And I said, the only time, I, first of all, I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to Brookings. And I got a check. How many know that you never say no? You really can't say no. I'm unavailable because... Because if we're living the life of Jesus, he's always available. So I must be available. I said the only time I could come, he's in, either in the middle of the night, or maybe I could come early in the morning because I have 325 miles to drive for a service. So I went in the hospital at 7 o'clock that morning. Walked in the room, ice cold. No anointing. I didn't feel the anointing. How many know we like to feel anointing? How many know that you're anointed whether you feel it or not? Amen. Amen. It's it's not just an emotional high. If that's all you get, go ahead and have your high. But the anointing is something more than that. So I felt absolutely nothing. I sat down next to his bed, pulled his hand, had his hand folded like he's in a coma. And I just began to pray. I said, Lord... Bring him out of this coma it's long enough for me to talk to him. Brought him out of the coma. The Lord brought him out of the coma. I just begin to talk to him and say, Marsh, this is Pastor. Oh, by the way, she tried to get him to, act, to let preachers come in to see him. And he said, no. He said, there's only one preacher that I'll allow to come and see me. Now, I'm not patting myself on the back. I want you to understand that. He said, it's Paul Tucker. You see, he never once in all 20 years, that we, 19 years we passed, never once entered my church. But I'd meet him at family picnics and things, funerals, weddings and things like that, shake his hand a few times. But in his mind, this man is my pastor. See, this man has multitudes of people he don't know that are his pastor. 
He's lived here long enough that he, how many know he has a reputation? The devil knows where he lives too. And so, in his mind, I was his pastor. So when, when he woke up and looked at me, I said, you remember me? Marsh said, oh yes, Pastor Tucker. I said, I said, Marsh, do you understand that you're, you're living in the, the last, possibly the last day of your life? I said, you, you need to make a choice, a decision. Are you willing to accept Jesus? He said, yes. And I prayed with him. And after I prayed with him, he just fell back into a coma. I said, are you ready? Are you sure you're ready to meet Jesus? Yes. I said, do you know that you're going to go to heaven? Yes. Went to sleep. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I said, Holy Spirit said, just lay your hands on his chest and pray. I didn't know what I was praying for. I just began to pray in the spirit for him. I left, drove to Brookings. I didn't have time to call until actually Tuesday morning. I called Tuesday morning to Jan. And Jan said, Pastor Chuck, you won't believe what happened. I said, yes, I can believe. She said, after you left, about 30, 40 minutes after you left, he woke up and sat up and said, I'm hungry. He had not eaten for over two weeks. He was on life support, feeding him intravenously. He ate a big breakfast, or ate a breakfast anyway. Next, he said, i got to get, get up. He was hooked up to everything. He said, no, I want to, I, want, I want to go to the bathroom. Went to the bathroom. He said, I want to take a walk. He walked up and down the aisle. About eight months later, I went to visit him. He's out mowing his yard. He's still alive today. God, Jesus, is alive. Amen? Amen. Let's lift a hand and say, Jesus, I know you're alive for me. I know I can live together with you right now. Not, I'm not going to wait until heaven. I'm going to live together with you right now. And listen, if you're here this morning and you've never had that relational identity so that you know that he is in you. That you're no longer those six things that Ephesians 2 says about you. That you're, you're far away from him, but you're, you, he's, he's this close to you right this morning. And maybe at one time you, you had a, some form of relationship. But if you want to renew that this morning, yeah, come on. and you want a refreshing in your life, I want you to stand with me right now. Oh, yeah. And we're going to believe God that this Jesus... It's going to become so real to you that it'll be just as real to you, more real to you than your wife or your husband or any other human relationship that you have. Father, I thank you this morning. Thank you this morning, Lord, that you said in your word that whether we wake or whether we live we can live together, together with you. Lord, I want every person here to come into a harmony with you, a relational harmony where there's no conflict, where there's perfect unity, where the spirit man and the natural man 
so flow together, Lord, that there's hardly a difference. We know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the building of God. We are the dwelling place of God. God said, I want to come into you. I want to dwell in you. I want to be with you. I want to walk in you. I want to talk with you. I want this intimate relationship. It's not only God's desire, but God has planted that in your heart also. And you can have that. And so, Father, I thank you right now that the offer is available today. Lord, you know people here that have needs. You taught us in your word that when we pray to say, Our Father, Lord, may we say that with assurance. Who art in heaven, holy, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come to us on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, according to every decree in heaven, in the courts of heaven, Lord, that's being stated concerning every individual in this room today, Lord. We know there are decrees, there are plans, there are purposes, Lord, that the angels are talking about. We know, Lord, according to scriptures in Acts 10, Lord, that the angels talk about individuals on this earth and decrees are met, Lord. Whatever is planned, Lord, for these people here, Lord. May they not miss that plan, Lord. We pray that your will, your decree for them will become relative to this sphere of earth, Lord, as we walk together and live together with your Son, Jesus Christ. May no one here miss any one divine appointment either with God or with people because we know your plan includes all the nations of the earth including our neighborhood our next door neighbor Lord we want them to come into this wonderful relationship with you too so Lord we bless we eulogize your people we thank you Lord that they're such wonderful people We thank you, Lord, that you love them with such an eternal love that not even life or death, principalities or powers, angels or any other thing can separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. May we live that out every day, we pray in Jesus' name.